Good morning, Canyon Hills. Great to see you, and welcome to Canyon Hills, and welcome to this Mother's Day. It's a delight to be with you and to see you. Uh, just before the message, we want you to let you know, mothers, that uh, as you leave today, there's some special chocolate-covered strawberries for you out there. All right, there's some treats, there's some special coffees, and there's a, a wonderful picture photo opportunity for you. So don't leave without those things. We value you, and we want you to just enjoy some of those things. And just before the message, take a moment to find your pens and the envelopes and the, underneath your chair there in the aisle and make sure everyone has something they can write with. This morning, we're continuing our habits series, and this morning, we're talking about prayer. And just before the message, take a look at this. You've done it again, Lord. You've done it again. You are good, and you are mighty, and you are merciful. And you keep taking care of me when I don't deserve it. Praise you, Jesus. You are Lord. Give me another one, Lord. Guide me to who you want me to help. Raise up more that will call upon your name. Raise up those that love you and seek you and trust you. Raise them up, Lord, raise them up. Lord, we need a generation of believers who are not ashamed of the gospel. We need an army of believers, Lord, that hate to be lukewarm and will stand on your word above all else. Raise them up, Lord, raise them up. I pray for unity among those that love you. I pray that you open their eyes so that they can see your truth, Lord. I pray for your hand of protection and guidance. Raise up a generation, Lord, that will take light into this world, that will not compromise when under pressure, that will not cower, Lord, when others fall away. Raise them up, Lord, that they will proclaim that there is salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. Raise up warriors, Lord, who will fight on their knees who will worship you with their whole hearts, Lord. Lord, call us to battle that we may proclaim you King of kings and Lord of lords. I pray these things with all my heart. Raise them up, Lord, raise them up. Amen. Okay, if any of you can pray like that, you don't have to listen to this message. You can leave now. I'm really excited to be before you. Happy Mother's Day. I did some research about motherhood in the Bible. And motherhood plays this really important role in the Bible, as you may know. It actually binds the beginning and the end. And, and these stories of motherhood in the Bible really get to the heart. And it gives us a glimpse into, into the, the heart of God. It starts with Eve. At the beginning, there was Eve. You know, he, she was taken from the side of Adam, and she was gifted with bringing forth 
all life. Eve, you see, was the mother of all living. And then there was Sarah, whose womb was closed. In fact, God had promised that many nations and kings would come from her. Yet 10 years passed, and motherhood seemed as impossible as the day that it was given. Yet God gave Sarah, and he was faithful to keep his promise, and Sarah bore a son. You see, Sarah was the promised mother. And then there was Leah, who was a firstborn. She was overlooked by her husband Jacob, who gave his heart to her younger sister. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened up her womb. And despite Jacob's disdain, she found motherhood in the Lord. Leah, you see, was the forgotten mother. When Pharaoh became angry at the fruitfulness of the Hebrews, the Israelites, Jochebed sacrificed her motherhood for the sake of her son. You guys remember him, Moses. When Pharaoh's daughter saw that the child, uh, saw the child, she, she had compassion on him. And because of Jochebed's sacrificial motherhood, the Israelites found freedom. You see, Jochebed was a sacrificial mother. Naomi was a mother who experienced not only the loss of her husband, but her two sons. Yet she gained the daughter in Ruth who said, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. My God, your God will be my God. Naomi and Ruth became family by faith. Naomi was a spiritual mother. All the way to Mary, a virgin and not yet married, who was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. This motherhood of this, this blessed woman was more than the continuation of a family name or a family line. But it was a means for God to bring forth a savior to save the people from his sins. Mary was the mother of a savior. So from the garden to the cross, there has always been mothers. These women have paved the way for all women, representing the full spectrum of the ways that one could be called mom. Whether a mother in faith, mentorship, adoption, or by birth, you play an important part in these stories. And listen to this, for generations to come. It's not just right here and now. So whether you can relate to the Sarahs or, or Leah, to all the Sarahs and to all the Leahs and to all the Jochebeds and to all the Marys, happy Mother's Day. May you be blessed today as a result of a title that you hold. And may you walk out of this place knowing that God loves you, loves you more than anything that he wants you to know that today. But you know what all of these moms have in common? They share one habit among others, one main habit. They all understood the power of prayer. Take a look at this phrase up on the screen with me. And for those of you that are doing our Habits Life Study Group this week, this came up this week for you. And I think this statement gets to the heart of what we're going to talk about this morning. And it says that it's not until you believe that prayer can make a difference that it makes your prayer life different. I'm going to say that again. It is not until you believe that prayer can make a difference that it makes your prayer life different. You know, for many years, especially when I first started following Christ, I thought, you know, that if God, the creator and Lord of the universe, 
and his word says that he has a perfect plan for our life, if this God, who's got it all figured out, then what is the point of my prayers anyway? He's got it figured out anyway, right? What difference can they make? But there were some moments in my life that shifted those thoughts. The time I prayed because we fear that my daughter may be born with a disability. The time that my mom had a major stroke and we prayed for healing and recovery. The time in the middle of a mission trip where God just tells me, pray for your heart's desire, and I did. And years later, after speaking to me, he answers my prayer. Those moments shaped my life. And it was through those moments that something, something shifted in me. And let me tell you, next to God's word, reading the Bible, there is nothing, absolutely nothing that has done more for my faith and my relationship with God than prayer. There's this guy named Tim Keller. He is a famous pastor and author. And he gives us this incredible picture of the importance and value of prayer. He talks about a season in his life where things weren't going well. In fact, everything was going wrong. And his wife comes to him and he says, and I quote this to him, and he gives him the following analogy. She says, she says, again, a mom, imagine you were diagnosed with a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took this particular medicine, a pill every single night before you're going to sleep. Imagine that you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to it some nights? No. It would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget. You would never miss. Well, if we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it because of all that we are facing. She says, I'm certainly not. We have to pray. We can't just let it slip our minds. And that from that moment on, Keller said that he got a passion and desire for prayer. So it is my desire today that God would do the same thing, especially in mom's lives. That the same thing that he did for me, Tim Keller, and his wife, that he would birth within you this passion and this desire for prayer. But to do that, I think we need to start by defining what prayer is. There's a lot of definitions out there, but I'm going to give you one that I like. It is an act of communication with the Almighty God where God invites us to speak to Him in word or thought, primarily with the intent of presenting our request to Him. And there's two parts of this definition. The first one that I want you to focus on is where God invites you to speak to Him, telling us that prayer is just an act of communication. Prayer, you see, is simply talking to God. One of the fundamental beliefs that we have as believers, as Christians, is that God is not this distant deity that, that who's in the heavens and he created the universe and then he creates us and then he leaves on vacation and leaves us to fend for ourselves. No, we believe, and we believe this because the Bible teaches it, we believe that our God is a God who loves us and is near us, and who wants to exist in relationship with us, and wants us to exist in relationship with him. And what's crucial to any part of a relationship? Communication, right? I can't have any sort of meaningful relationship with my wife without talking to her. In fact, I've tried. It doesn't work. 
And so because God wants us to exist in relationship with him, that means that God simply wants us to talk to him. That is what prayer is. It's simply talking to God. The second part of that definition is that the primary intent of prayer is for us to present our requests to God. You know, I've often heard it said, and maybe you have as well, that prayer doesn't change God, that prayer changes us. And there's a little truth to that, that God has given us prayer primarily as a vehicle to change us. But you know what the problem with that is? The Bible. If you study the, what the Bible says on prayer, you will find that the primary reason that God has given us prayer is to provide an avenue to ask him to do things for us. Now think about that for a second. The primary reason that God has given us prayer is to provide an avenue for, uh, for us to make requests of him. And why would we make requests of God unless he intends to do something about them, unless he intends to answer them? And perhaps one of the clearest verses for me on this is James chapter 4, verse 2. And this is James uh, the brother of Jesus who says, you do not have because you do not ask God. What an amazing verse, right? You don't have because you don't ask God. Scripture is clear on this. If we pray for something, it happens. And if we don't, it doesn't. And that leads me to what I want to talk to you about this morning from Luke chapter 18. It is a parable, one of Jesus' famous parables. And for those of you who don't know what a parable is, it's basically a story that Jesus would tell that would convey a meaning or a teaching on various subjects. And at the center of this story that Jesus tells us here is this widow, this unnamed woman who has lost her husband, and it is clear that she has had some injustice done to her. She talks in this passage about an adversary who has done her wrong. And Jesus doesn't tell us what the exact issue is, but it's not hard to guess because in the first century at that time that Jesus is talking here, widows are actually one of the most unprotected people in society. Widows were actually forbidden by law from inheriting any money from their husbands. I mean, they could live off their husband's estate, but they couldn't directly inherit any of the monies. And for that reason, if there was a, the family of the man who died decided that for any reason not to support this widow, they could literally kick her on the street. So for that reason, widows were often susceptible to unscrupulous men who would try to defraud them. And likely something along those lines is what's happening in this story. She was taken advantage of. She was defrauded. And so her only recourse, the story tells us, is the legal system. And so that's exactly what the widow does. She goes to the judge. But unfortunately, the, the Bible tells us that this judge doesn't care about anybody but himself. That he was an evil man. And that's what Jesus makes clear in verse 2 of this passage. And look, look there with me. It's up on the screen. And he says, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And this phrase here, neither feared God nor cared what people thought, that's actually a common description that refers to the worst people of that time. This judge, in my paraphrase, was basically a jerk. And so when we hear that this widow had to deal with this judge, at least the way I feel about this story is I feel hopeless 
Because it's clear that this judge doesn't care about this widow or justice. That is her only recourse. He only cares about himself. So I, here you have this helpless widow and this wicked, evil judge. And indeed, when the widow first pleads her case to the judge, the judge doesn't do anything about it. It says so in the first part of verse 4, that he refuses to respond to the widow. He refuses to grant her justice. And if this were any other widow... That might be the end of the story. But this woman that Jesus described here, there's something different about her. Kind of reminds me of moms. She's tenacious. She's persistent. She won't take no for an answer. And so she continues to return day after day to this judge. And just to get a sense of how just strong-willed this woman is, realize that the courts in Jesus' day were much different than ours. Courtroom is courtrooms in Jesus' day were, were really chaotic. And what would happen is that everyone that would want a hearing would just run into the room and there would be people shouting and raising their hands and saying, you know, hear my case, listen to me, you know, all day at the same time. So what would happen is that the squeaky wheel would get the oil. And so we get this impression that every day this little old lady would show up to court and fight through the crowds just to get an audience with the judge. And for days, maybe weeks, maybe even months, she would show up in this judge's courtroom, hear my case, judge, listen to me, pay attention to me. And that's what she would do. And I think those of you that have kids know exactly what this is like, right? You have kids that will just come to you and ask for something over and over and over again, and they wear you out and eventually say, okay, just so that you can be left alone, right? You moms know what I'm talking about. But that's exactly what this mom does to this judge grant me justice hear my case listen to me and this is what happens in verse 4 for some time he refused but finally he said to himself even though I don't fear God or care what people think yet because this widow keeps bothering me I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me the word says very interesting isn't it we get the impression that this judge even gets a little bit fearful of this woman. At the end of verse 5, there you see that the judge is worried about this, that this widow will eventually come and attack him. Now, some of your translations, if you have your Bibles open, will actually translate and say, she wore me out, because we can relate to that a little bit more. But attack me is more of a little term, because when you study the Greek, they get that term from the boxing arena, and it literally means to give a black eye. So literally, the judge is saying here that this woman may come and give me a black eye. And it can be taken figuratively, figuratively as wear me out, but some scholars aren't so sure. Some people believe that this judge was afraid this, this little old lady will one day come back with her little old purse and just beat him over the head with it. And so although this judge doesn't care about justice, although he doesn't care about God, although he doesn't care about this woman, for his own sanity, we might say that he decides to give her justice. He decides to do what is right. It's an interesting little story, right? Maybe even endearing the wicked judge, this tenacious, persistent, relentless little old woman that reminds me of moms. But you know what this story does? It teaches us about the attitude. It teaches us about the heart, even the manner in which we should pray. That is what we learn about prayer from this parable. 
Jesus teaches us first to pray hopefully. Starting with verse 6 of this passage, here Jesus makes the connection between the story and prayer, and this is what he says. Listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? See, the point that Jesus is making in this parable is that although we are like the widow and we might be able to relate to the widow, it's telling us that God is not like the judge. Although we are like the widow, God is not like the judge. You see, the judge is evil and wicked, and God is good, and he is just. The judge doesn't care about anyone, but God loves us and calls us his children. God is not like the judge. And Jesus makes a similar point in the book of Matthew. Here, Jesus uses the same image of, 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 a, of a judge and widow, but in this passage, he uses a father and son. And this is what he says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, speaking of fathers, how much more will your father in heaven give good, give good gifts to those who ask him? And what this is meant to instill in us is hope. Hope when it comes to prayer that as we come before God in prayer, we are not coming before this heartless, ruthless, distant God who couldn't care less about us. No, we're coming before this gracious, loving, kind, heavenly Father. And even if the heartless, ruthless people will sometimes do what is right, how much more can we trust our Father to do what is right? And this is, when you think about it, the foundation of prayer. This is why prayer works. This is why God has given us prayer. Think about that for a second. Let it sink in that the sovereign creator of the whole universe allows us to come before him and ask him to do things. And that God actually listens to us and in some cases does what we ask. That he grants our request. You moms get this. You moms get gifts for your children for no other reason than you want to see a smile in their face. Because you love to see them and you love to give them gifts. You know, our Heavenly Father has unlimited resources and He loves to give us gifts. And so we come before God in a spirit of hopefulness, knowing that God loves it when we do that. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we get everything we ask for. I think you guys all know that. You know, I've heard a pastor say once that God responds to us in one of three ways. He says, yes, no, and are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, sometimes we're going to pray things that seem like no-brainers to us for God to answer. And God won't do it. And for some of us, it's going to be difficult. It's going to challenge our faith. We're going to ask some hard questions. We're going to ask some hard prayers of God. And we're going to feel like he's not going to come through. And it's going to challenge our faith. But that is exactly what Jesus means by the statement at the end of verse 8 where he says, However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on this earth? Jesus knows that there is a risk that people are going to get so frustrated asking God for things and not seeing it happen, that they might give up on their faith altogether. That's the risk. But as the phrase, the Son of Man comes, in that verse, it makes it clear that there's coming a day 
Oh, what a beautiful day when everything will be set right. When all good prayers, especially those involving justice or injustice, will be answered. And so even in our disappointment in unanswered prayer, we have this hope that there will be a day where everything is set right. So we pray hopefully. We pray believing in a God who loves us, who wants us to come to him. Our prayer do make a difference. And that is my hope. And I pray that is your hope. We pray hopefully. And second, we pray helplessly. You know, what stands out to me again about this parable is the helpless condition that this widow is in. I feel helpless for her. Now, if this judge had refused to hear her case, if he had refused to grant her request, then this woman would have no other recourse, right? There was no appeal course to go to. Her fate rests entirely in the hands of this wicked judge. But think about it. Isn't that why we pray in the first place? We pray because, at least I do, I realize that I'm helpless. I realize that nothing happens on earth without God's intervention, without God deciding if he wants it to happen or not. We pray not just because God is loving, but we pray because we are helpless. I know that that's one of the biggest struggles that we have is that we often feel that getting things done is up to us. Especially the more resources that we have, the more education, the more status, the, the better positions. We feel that it is up to us to get all these things done. And then we often wonder why we, when we struggle at work or in our, excuse me, or in our marriages or finances, we tend to try to figure it out on our own. That's what we're used to. But I often wonder how many times God looks down on us and thinks, if they would just cry out to me, I would answer them. It's like that old hymn says, you probably have heard it, what a friend we have in Jesus, a beautiful hymn. There's some lyrics there that are verses that I like, and it says, oh, what a peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. You see, prayer is not meant to be your last option when everything else has failed, when your strength can't figure it out. Prayer is meant to be the first step, the first thing that we do. And we don't have to worry about what we say or do in our prayers. You know, as, as a father, as a, as a parent, I love hearing my kids pray. And now I have grandkids and I love hearing them pray. You know why? Because they don't worry about what, anything's gonna, what anyone's going to say about them. They just speak their heart. So now Natalie and Jeremiah, they do all of our prayers. Just last night, Jeremiah prayed for the homeless people and the monsters, all in the same prayer. <laughs> you know, I think the most powerful prayer that I've ever prayed is also the shortest. It's, God, help me. God, please help me. So we pray helplessly. If we think about it, we are helpless. But then we pray what this is all about, what this series is all about, habits. We pray habitually. We pray regularly. And look back at verse 1 of this passage. This is how Jesus begins this parable. He says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always 
pray and not give up. And you may want to take note of this last phrase, always pray and not give up. There's this interesting tension in this parable. We know that God is not like the judge. So God is not telling us here that if we pester him, we're going to wear him down and he's going to say yes to us. That is not what this parable is teaching. At the same time, however, the Bible does make something clear. And that is that God's first answer to prayer is not always his final answer. Sometimes God may say no, and later on he may say yes. And that's why in Scripture it calls us not just to consistent prayer, but to persistent prayer. Not just regular times of prayer, but bringing the same things before God multiple times. And we have several examples of this throughout the Bible. One of the ones that, that, that stands out to me is that Jesus in the garden, three times he gave the same prayer to his father because he knew that his father's answer wasn't his final answer. And that is why it is important for our prayers to become a habit, to become a regular part of our routine. So what I thought for the purposes of today, I would give you my routine and in my routine, you see that I'll try to, I try to incorporate consistent and persistent prayers. I pray for the same things over and over again. So here's how I do it. In the mornings, I wake up, and I'm a pretty selfish prayer. So in the morning, I get up early. No, there's no distractions around me. I get coffee. Sometimes there's worship music. Sometimes there's not. I may be in the office when I have to come in early. Like when I pray for a message, I might be in my house. And I sit there, and I spend 5 to 10 minutes. And again, they're pretty selfish prayers. And I focus on my day. I say, dear God, help me with today. Give me wisdom for this meeting that I'm going to have. Help me accomplish these things at church that I want to accomplish. And it's all about how my day is supposed to go. And I pray for God's help and wisdom. And basically, I'm just focusing on my day ahead. And of course, anything else that God would bring to mind. I have a list of five or six things that I pray for all the time. And then at night, I close my day with prayer. In fact, Often I go to sleep, praying, and I never even get to say amen. And during that time, I have another selfish list of things that I pray for. And there's these things that I've been praying for, some for 10 years. Some have been weeks. Prayers like, dear God, please help my son get into med school. Dear God, please help my daughter get into the schools she wants. And now that she's there, please, God, please help her have wisdom in the schools that she's going to pick. And on and on and on. And you know what's cool? about those prayers is that my prayers today are not the same that they were 10 years ago because God has answered most of them or he's taken away the desire for some of the things I wanted like a convertible. Anyway, that's a different story. You know, I've told you this before that I find that God answers me in one of three ways and I really, really have found this to be true. He either says yes, not yet, or I have something better for you. Those I have something better for you are really hard for me because they sound like no's to me at the beginning. Some of them I've had to wait decades to discover that they were things that were better for me. And then what I do is I pray throughout the day. I pray for parking spaces to open up. I pray for someone I may see on the street. I pray for people I may want to hit. Most of the day I'm just praying for forgiveness, really, that's what I do. William Temple said, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. The Bible tells us to pray about everything. So that's what I try to do. 
and then I allow God to sort it out. John Piper gives us this great illustration. He says that faith is the furnace in your life, that the fuel is grace, and that the shovel is prayer. And if you set down the shovel, your burner goes out. So he says, keep shoveling, shovel without stopping, pray without ceasing. In fact, there's apps that'll help you. There's tons of them. In fact, I'll show you one today. It's called Echo Prayer. And it's really cool because it allows you to keep a log of your prayers, etc. reminders. It even lets you pray about specific things and then indicate when, you know, God answered the prayer. I mean, it's a great tool. You may find your own. But the point here, it doesn't matter how you do it. What matters is that you do it. This week, that no matter what happens in your schedule, that no matter how busy you are, that you would find the time to pray. And if you don't pray, if you didn't pray before, that you would find the time to start. And if you already prayed, that you would find the time to increase those prayers. Next to God's word, there's nothing that will do more for your faith and your relationship with God than prayer. And moms, this is especially important for you. Let me tell you why. See, I believe that I stand before you today because of my mom's prayers. I recall numerous times just calling her up on the phone, sharing things that I would only share with her because only she would get me. She raised me. She knew before I even said anything on the phone, and she would just say, what'd you do this time, Carlos? No, and she never said that, but she knew what I needed without me saying, moms, do that. So if you want to make an impact in your kids, start this habit of prayer. I had a special connection with my mom. She knew everything about me. And, but you want to know why I called her? Because I'm selfish. Because I knew that my mom was a praying woman. I knew that my mom had a special connection with God. And I knew that God answered her prayers. I lost my mom a few years ago. And I miss her. And I know some of you miss your moms too. God understands that. As your mom rejoices like mom in heaven, God wants to bring us comfort today. He's been doing it to me all day. So as we close, I want to do two things. We're going to pray for all of you moms before you walk out of these doors. Then after I pray for moms, the worship band is going to lead a song. And during that song, we're going to put up some prompts, some prayers up on the screen. I'm going to encourage you that as this song plays, that you would just join us in prayer for some of these requests. Some of you have your own list of prayers that you want to pray for. But the point of this is that you would start putting this into practice, that you will start making this a habit starting today. You can pray for all of them. You can pray and focus of the ones that grab your attention. You likely won't know who that applies to, and that's okay. God does. We just ask that you will lift these requests up. But when you do, do so believing that God can and will do something about it. Because our God loves to hear from us, and he loves to respond to his people. So I'm going to ask all mothers to stand right now. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm just going to pray for you. So please stand. 
And if you're, if you're near one of these moms, just please extend out your arms symbolically that you are with them. And Matthew 18, 19 says this. If two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So as I pray, I just ask that all of you will agree with me as I pray. Will you bow your heads? Father, you see these women standing before you, Father, in whom you're pleased. Proverbs 31, 28 says this of moms, her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Heavenly Father, we approach your throne on behalf of all of the mothers here today who you've entrusted to care for your most precious children. We thank you for creating each mom with a unique combination of gifts and talents. We thank you for the sacrifice of self that each mom gives for her children. We thank you for the gift of time that moms give to their kids, whether it's stay-at-home moms or working moms or, or moms who have a combination of both. We thank you for the flexibility of moms, for their tirelessness, their perseverance, their devotion. Father, bless these moms today. Grant them strength. Grant them health, a joy, grace, laughter. Lord, freedom from guilt and the hope for the future. Give them a hunger to know your love, to love you more, to follow you every day, Father, and to pray hopefully, helplessly, and habitually. Lord, and we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.